0: TFS episode number one twenty one. Uh, this is Greg Duncan.
1: This is Paul Hacker. Hey, Paul. Hey, Greg. How you
0: doing today? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, for schmergold. thats my official technical term for it. You know, when you have your meetings that run over and over, and you know, we have a second try today to try to record this podcast because my Skype was the devil yesterday. Um, but we're on. We're here. It's bright and sunny out here in Southern California uh and we've got you and a special host our special guest
1: that's correct and i'm very excited for our
0: special guest (laughs) yeah you you recommended him huh yes i did
1: yes i did i thought he'd be a great person to have on and he he plays in my ballpark so i'm
0: really happy (laughs) so if he sucks he's all your fault
1: exactly not
0: (laughs) (laughs) it'll be the producers wait that's me damn it okay let, let me, let's do the bio.
1: So, today bio is, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> okay, go ahead,
0: Greg. Um, yeah, I'll do the bio. And uh, we're going to leave all this in. Like I, like I told you guys in the pre-show, it is what it is. We are live. Today, our guest is Abel Wang. Abel started his software career at Compact Computers in the 90s. By 2006, he had worked at a variety of companies, also founded and sold his own software company. Selling the company allowed him the flexibility to really explore, experiment, and do what he really wanted to do. And that was drink pina coladas on the beach, I think, right? No, wait, wait, there's more. Wait. He was extremely curious about why most software projects he was involved in failed. And by fail, he meant they ran over budget, over time, riddled with bugs, not quite what the client wanted, even though the specs were all followed, et cetera. And now, you know, the easy answer to that was to say it was the developer's fault. It's always the developer's fault. Except that that same core group of developers were would be involved in all the projects. Some would fail and some would succeed. His conclusion was that the process played an important part of the success of those projects or failure of those projects. This started his journey in ALM and software development processes. For the next seven years, he worked at Notion Solutions as a process consultant where he helped customers implement ALM using Microsoft tools, namely Visual Studio and Team Foundation Server. After Notion, it was a logical step for him to join Microsoft as a senior consultant for premier developers specializing in ALM and app dev. Abel, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, guys.
1: This is great. Glad to have you. And I think it's important to note that now Abel is a TSP. He is no longer with um, Premier Support. So that's really nice. And Abel can explain what TSPs are and all those acronyms are.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Microsoft has a few acronyms. That's for sure.
0: Okay. First, we're going to do some st- some news. we got a lot of news and um, we're going to do the usual switching back and forth. Uh, we're going to involve and get Abel's thoughts on these. Um, what's the first news we have got, Paul?
1: Well, the first news is all about Visual Studio 15. And by 15, I don't mean 2015. <laughs> I mean the next version of Visual Studio and TFS. And one of the things they've come up with is a new lightweight installer, which is it's like a 500 meg installer for visual studio it's it's really quick really small not as big a footprint as is what you're used to with other versions of visual studio uh and it has the ability now with um our visual studio not only do we have the quick installer but we also have what we call tfs uh (laughs) 15 and tfs 15 has a new option um, to be able to open the work items from, from into the web from visual studio, so it 's a combination of you know if you have the TFS server and you 're using work items in Visual Studio, you used to have to work in two different worlds visual Studio world for what work items there, and then the TFS web version, if you were working in the web. Now, Visual Studio will actually open up those work items in the web for you, so you have one place to go. No longer do I have to write queries on, you know locally, queries in the cloud, or anything like that. I just It all just works. It's really nice.
0: And that's something we've been talking about the teams have been moving to for a while, right? Because uh, yeah. there yeah. was some of the build stuff has been moving there, and the uh, t- results, and a-, a lot of it has been moving to the web. Now, Abel, what are your thoughts on on this? We've we've got some listeners who get grumpy when they lose their Visual Studio, you know, tool windows and stuff. Um, what do you think about this new opening stuff up up in the web UI?
2: So I totally understand the the whole change is difficult. Um, but this one I've got to support. It's much nicer to have everything all in one place. I remember back in the day, and and Paul remembers when when TFS 2010 was out, there was no such thing as a web portal. And then some people hacked together some web portals and it was just awful, right? But by by now the web portal is so for TFS or VSTS is so fully featured and it's so nice that I pretty much live in that web portal day-to-day already. So the fact that, If I'm in Visual Studio and I need to look at a work item and it pops me into the web portal, it's not a jarring experience. I'm already in that web portal. So I'm all for it.
0: So you can kind of think about it just as if you were to tear off the tool window in Visual Studio and put it on another monitor. Well, your browser is that tool window on another monitor. Absolutely. One of the other things that they released that I was really excited about in Visual Studio 15, and I'm not going to rant about the 15 code name like it did last show, I promise not to say how irritating I find it um, is that they did, they've rethought the SQL server data tools and the build process for that. I, I use the SQL server data tools quite a bit, like any project where I'm developing for SQL server, it's got the SQL server data tools. I love that. Um, but I always had a problem deploying it and, you know, right mouse click and publish from visual studio, uh, you know, it's just horrible. Uh, now, via a NuGet package, they are redistributing it and making it set up for mere mortals that you can have an integrated, continuous integration and continuous deployment with your a SQL Server data tools projects. And, you know, installed via NuGet. It does, it's super lightweight installation. Um, it, it's, there's no globally shared dependencies in the GAC. So it makes setting up your build machine just dramatically easier. Very excited when I saw this. Do you think you guys use SQL Server Data Tools?
1: Yeah, I do. I don't use it like for developing databases so much as I use it for creating the <laughs> DAC packs and those types of things that I'm going to deploy with because I'm living more on the DevOps release side of things right now. So I tend to use it for creating the packages that we're going to release the
2: databases with. And yeah. how- I, I use it too. I use it every single day of my life. Any, anytime I have to use a database, I want to encapsulate the schema in a database project so I can check it in and out. Right alongside my source? Yeah, I hear you.
1: I'm amazed at how many people don't know about the data tools yet. In fact, I talked to a company uh, about three weeks ago, and they had never heard of the SQL Server data tools, and they are a database development company. That's what they really are into, data. Never heard of the tools. They use TFS. They use Visual Studio had no clue what the data tools were. until, so we educated them on that and they were so excited to hear that they can actually use this because they have some kind of setup. I don't, I haven't seen it or really gotten into depth with it, but it's all cobbled together. And, and, and this is such a great tool. I mean, I've used it for database development. It's a great
2: tool. Yeah, I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge fan.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't do database development without it. My only beef with it has always been that there's no, I, I like diagrams. You know, I like seeing my ER diagram and yeah, we can, you know, build it on SQL Server when Management Studio, but I, I just wanted that in the tool. And they've never done that. You know, I, I come from an Irwin. You guys ever use Irwin? I've I have never not.
1: used Irwin. I know what it is. I've never used it.
0: Yeah, I got it. was so nice to be able to visually create a good logical and uh, physical schema and it, it took me a while to get used to the the data tools. Now, you know, all I see is the blonde and brunette. You know, I don't need the diagrams as much, but uh, I still miss them. All right. Now, that was a rabbit hole. I didn't think we were going to go down, but.
2: <laughs> that, that's actually a good
0: suggestion. And you should put it on user voice so we can all vote it up. <laughs> and especially since, you know, the, the diagramming tools are like canned in Visual Studio. I just don't understand. We've got all these cool diagram, uh, you know, what do you, uh WDML and there's all these other diagrams we've talked about it even on the show how they visualize the uh, work item history and, and all these using that same diagrams but we just don't have database diagrams it's weird. All right, last show we talked about the we I flying solo and I really appreciate all your guys' feedback on that. I'll, we'll do that at the end of the show. We'll talk about that. But uh, uh, I asked what was Tower in related in relation to uh, Git and a TFS. I found out today in a post from uh, Tobias Gunther that uh, Tower is a Mac Git environment. It's a, a GUI environment for Git that was on the Mac and now uh, there's a beta release for Windows too. So that was kind of cool. And and looking at it, it's pretty neat as a clicky developer like I am. Uh and if you're like that too, and you know Visual Studios Git integration isn't cut, quite cutting it for you, then you should check out Tower, and we'll have the links in the show notes. Now, so if you are, that, a,
1: oh, go ahead, go, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, is that similar to Tower for Ansible? I don't know if you guys ever heard of Ansible. Ansible is again another tool like a chef or a puppet, um, but Tower is the interface that you install on in the Linux box for Ansible because Ansible is Ansible's a Linux-based install. And I was curious if that's the same. It puts a GUI on top of Linux, on top of uh, Ansible. I'm wondering if this just put a GUI on top of Git on the Mac. If they're in the same same kind of tool, same company, and everything. I wonder.
0: I don't know. The URL is like git-tower.com, uh, okay, to, git towercom dot com version control. Okay, I'll have to look Tower into two. it. I just I yeah. know
1: Tower from Ansible, so I was just curious.
0: Yeah, I'm checking out the site real quickly. Doesn't Look at it. I mean, they talk about a bunch of integrations, uh, Bitbucket, GitLab, Beanstalk, get Swarm, Team Services, uh, GitHub, of course. I, I don't see the Ansible stuff, but okay. I don't know. That's a good homework assignment, huh? And Or for our listeners. You guys tell yeah, us. Yeah, somebody knows, let us
1: know.
0: <laughs> so yeah, speaking of Git, they've also released the GitHub extension for Visual Studio. V 2.0 is now available. And you know, again, if you are using GitHub, for your source co- code, which is perfectly fine. Microsoft does it a lot. Uh, this is a good extension to have. One of the key things that they've added to it is you, if you do Gits, is that how you say it? Gist, G I S T, you can do it now right from within Visual Studio.
1: And that's just for GitHub, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay, cool.
0: So, what other changes, Paul, has been happening in VSTS?
1: Um, well, there's what they call lifecycle management improvements for team services, and what that means is for folks that are using AAD or what they call Azure Active Directory. So, you you have a the cloud Active Directory. You're using Office 365, for example, uh, and you know you log into VSTS over the web you get presented with this dialogue and they've changed the look and feel of the dialogue and how it's actually working. Um, So from the end user point of view, you don't see much different other than a different looking UI. But the beautiful thing about it is that if you're managing your organization with AAD, you have the ability, let's say, to disable a person from your organization or delete them altogether out of AAD. It ripples automatically down through VSTS now. So therefore they cannot... If they have an open session, they can continue working till they close the session. They can't stop that, but they'll stop them from pre- or prevent them from creating new sessions, whether it be personal access tokens or uh, the, the IDE or a browser se- session. Uh, that's really cool. I think that you know that that's something we've been looking for because I work with companies that do manage their users in AAD. And so now that we can tie it back like that and, and automatically update because you don't have to go back and do more maintenance with your users, it's great. Um, so, so there's that that's coming out. And um, I don't think there's much else with that other than, like I said, from the end user point of view, there's going to be a little different user interface experience. But that's about it. I think it's really cool. That's, that's the big deal, I think, is the AAD.
0: Do we go quiet? Yeah, we quiet. that'll be that'll be cut out of the the quiet part will be cut out. But I was looking for something pithy to say, and man, I just came up with nothing. That's nothing. <laughs> okay. Well, the other thing I want to talk about, we talked about that conference. Uh, I think in the previous show, and uh, because of what Angela was doing on Channel Nine, um, David Guillard did a uh, has has a podcast. The MS Dev Show and episodes 17 and 18 were live from that conference. And in part two, there she is, Angela Dugan, the woman we can't do a show without mentioning. So, um, and she has a nice little talk. They talk about safe. Um, both of these, it's he brings in a number of different people. Uh, Jerry Nixon is in there, just uh, a, a number of people. First one's an hour and twenty. The other, the second part is an hour even. If you're interested in that conference, you want to see some of the, the big names in our industries, we'll have the links in the show notes.
1: Awesome. And ha- talking to talking to Angela is great. You know, she's a great person, a good friend of mine. Uh, David's a good friend of mine. He's a great guy, too. You know, so they're both, and you know, eh, enjoyable to listen to. It, it, it would be good. Um, so on that note, let's talk about uh, Docker and our folks that are using Docker. So again, staying with the VSTS uh, thread here, uh, for those people that are using Docker, let's let Docker is a containerization uh, tool. Uh, we have the ability now to uh, build, run, and push Docker images into Linux from VSTS. So they've created a Docker integration extension that you can go and download from the marketplace or install from the marketplace, depending on what you're using VSTS Web or on-premises TFS and uh and then you can go out and set up your set up your account and basically you can now set up your um docker as part of your release pipeline so you'll have to set up an endpoint a docker host and registry endpoints uh endpoints are are how we connect like to azure or chef or puppet or any of those and you get to it through the uh the admin screen of your vsts or tfs window in the web and go to the um the admin screen, go to services, and you will see in the services list uh, the ability to create endpoints. And that's that's all you really need to do. Once you have that set up, uh, it goes through and you set up the, the variables and values you need, and it'll it'll work with the Docker images now, which is fantastic because we really want it. And I say we, the company I work with uh, as a consultant – we we want to use Docker images, and so to see it coming more and more uh, mainstream here is going to be great uh, because we do have companies that are really Linux based, and we need to push push Docker images. It's much easier, so that that'll that'll be a great thing. And so I think the, res- the show notes will have a link to a blog, and the blog kind of outlines all the steps you need to go through to set it up for the first time. So please, you know, look at the show notes and get that link if you're interested in doing the Docker with VSTS.
0: Abel,
2: have you done much with uh, Docker? Just enough to do some demos. So to answer your question, no, but I can think.: <laughs> Yeah, I
0: haven't done hardly diddly with Docker. And I feel, like I say, with Git and about a million other things. I know about it. I love the premise about it. I see a resistance in bringing it in primarily because we're a 99% Microsoft shop. So I've been waiting for Windows 10 anniversary so we can get the Hyper-V uh containers uh, and server 2016 so we can get the the container support there
1: yeah that'll be nice Uh, i'm curious to see how well it's going to work compared to what like (laughs) docker's doing because obviously docker has been in the market for a little while Uh, i'm curious if 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 they're going to be a competing tool to docker or if it's going to be a similar tool just designed for the folks that use microsoft um, in terms of, you know, or are they going to push one for Linux too and then compete against Docker? I, I don't know. That'd be interesting to see what how it falls out there.
0: Yeah. So as much as I've been reading about it, it's really a partnership with them utilizing their same API. You know, oh, like Microsoft really. is doing the Windows side and leaving Docker to do the, the Linux side. But yeah, it, it was looking to be a very good partnership. So that that gave me hope. It's not the evil Microsoft of days gone by. Awesome. Speaking of continuous, yeah. Speaking of continuous integration and team services, last week I talked about uh, a uh, update where you can do continuous integration and go to the Google Play Store. Well, kind of married to that is how do you do continuous integration for Android or iOS? Uh, you know exactly how do you do all of that stuff? I've got two posts from uh, James Montemingo. Sorry, James. Uh, that he goes into that level of detail from getting started to preparing the the agents. Uh, if you're doing Xamarin iOS and Android builds, uh, yeah, you you just basically you know stop listening and go read those posts.
1: That's cool. Uh, I, I I do stuff when not not for development in the day to day life, but in uh, in um, demos or talks that I give, I always when I'm talking about deployments or builds, I'm always showing off the iOS. Uh, build and release pieces and things like that. So we can uh, show people that, you know, it's not just Microsoft technologies that this tool works with and uh, having the continuous integration now is just one more thing to add to that. And it's going to be a lot of fun. I'll have to integrate that into my, my talks going forward.
0: That's cool. So we've been talking about DevOps. Um, Is there anything to like any real world examples that you've seen?
1: Well, that's great that you asked uh, uh, Greg. I, there is a channel nine video. And again, we'll put a link in the show notes about implementing DevOps to deliver business value. Uh, And, and it's a real world example of how you go about doing that. I haven't watched it personally, but it comes from the chef con chef conference, uh, Mm -hmm. 2016. And so it's, it's doesn't focus on like Microsoft specific. It, it just, it talks about how the, the concept of DevOps can deliver business value for you, which is great. And, um, on that note, I just did a talk, in fact, in Indianapolis, uh, DevOps uh, and how you can use it to, to uh, be more agile in your organization. So it's DevOps with a uh, agile as an agile strategy. And um, it, it, I, I'm assuming this is something similar to that, in, in that it talks about how DevOps can really help
0: your organization. So
1: that'd be really cool to go see.
0: Yeah, it's funny. The meeting that I was at right before this that ran over, uh, I had to go into, uh, our uh, CEO said, what is DevOps? Because it was a bullet point on, on the email. It's like, everybody turns to me. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, I can fake this, I think. Um, and I we will talk more about DevOps here. I, I think the biggest thing is that it's not, it's not, what is it? Not a product that you buy. It's a thing that you do and uh, it's, it's more, it's like going agile. What is agile? Well, you know, yeah, DevOps is kind of how I've been explaining it and try to get it right in my head. Um, We've got another post. Speaking of Agile and DevOps, the Scrum Alliance had a post, the art of organizational change management in DevOps adoption. Yeah, How do you deal with the people in bringing in DevOps? So I thought this was a really interesting post and one that I'll be sharing with my CEO when we're done here. With the show
1: that's great that's great because that's what devops is all about it's about people process and products uh, and so there is a lot of definitions out there but I, that's really the core of it it's people process and products and delivering value to the to the customer and so yeah how how do you deal with that change management piece would be really interesting read i'm going to have to go out and read that myself Speaking of that, speaking of DevOps, um, and speaking of Abel, um, Abel had put out a post about DevOps Nirvana, basically, or how you set up a (laughs) DevOps demo using VSTS and Azure. I'm sure Abel will talk more about it, but he did a five five post series, uh, and he just finished the fifth one, so it's all complete now, and it's great. I I worked it, I I, I read it; it was it was fantastic. So uh, I, I encourage anybody that's looking to set up a DevOps demo go out and read this series of posts because that to me is a is a real world example of actually using a tool to to accomplish your devops strategy. It doesn't cover every aspect of devops because I think devops starts with requirements management, but it does cover the majority of your devops cycle. And uh and, and so it talks about, you know, monitoring and testing and and all this cool stuff. So I encourage everybody to go
2: read that uh, that series. It's it's great abel how long did it take you to write these posts <laughs> i thought it was going to take like a weekend it was a little bit longer than a weekend um but, but uh it, it's something that i have to do all the time right where i have to create these demos and um yeah. the people in my organizations they kept on asking how do you do that can you can you show us how to do that so i figured i might as well just turn it into a blog post and then everyone can just see how to do it uh, luckily with things like Snagit, it becomes easier to grab about the screenshots and, and to create these blog posts.
0: I've paused it. Um abel, we're getting an echo back from you. From me. So Abel, let's uh, enough news. Enough talking about posts. Let's talk
2: about you, my friend. Okay. What is a TSP? I think it actually is technical solutions professional. Although I might be wrong because I never pay attention to titles. <laughs> <laughs> but really all I do what I really am is I'm actually in sales i'm responsible for all technical aspects of selling visual studio team foundation server visual studio team services and also azure for dev test workloads does it does it hurt to be in sales do you like being in sales i thought it was going to hurt a lot um my background is dev, right i've been writing code right over like 20 years and that's pretty much all i do i eat drink live writing code uh the the cool thing is what i really do is i i create really cool demos that showcase Microsoft tooling, and I talk to devs about them, and that's all I do. I leave the actual sales part to the SSPs, and I just do the cool demos, drop the mic, and walk out of the room. Mm. Yeah,
0: so, I, Yeah, I got to ask, what's it like joining Microsoft, <coughs> going to
2: the mothership? It's been fantastic and and it's actually been an interesting journey. I started off in the Java and open source world. I mean, this was way back in the early 90s, right? So back then Microsoft was, you know, the ultimate evil and all that stuff and and when I was in school Java was just in beta. So that I'm totally dating myself now, but it was back then. <laughs> Um, when I got out of, of school, I actually ended up working with Marimba, and so I worked under Arthur Van Hoff, who is the inventor of the Java language. So I was all Java, all open source and you know everything. And it wasn't until .NET finally dropped that a buddy of mine was just like, you've got to check out the .NET language. It's so awesome. And I was like, whatever. That's just Microsoft imitating Java, right? But he gave me a, a stack of CDs. I think it was six CDs. Well, it was back in the day when everything was on CD's. So, I loaded them up, and I was like, "I know i 'm going to create a web service." So I created a web service. you know I brought up Visual Studio, i right clicked, and I was done and I was like, what Wait, I just created a web service with just a couple clicks. Um, clearly, you can do the same thing in the Java world, but first I 'd have to download a library over here, download a package over here, set up class pass, etc, et etc cetera, et cetera, right The Visual Studio tooling was so easy to use and made my life so much easier. I was like, I think I'm kind of sold because this just makes my life easier. I can do all the cool Debbie stuff and not have to worry about, you know, setting up configuration. So that, that's kind of what drew me into Microsoft. But then joining Microsoft, it's been awesome. I love it. What, one thing I like to ask all our guests is, is
0: what's like the coolest thing that you've done or the thing that you're most excited about having done the, you know, top of your bucket list, and it doesn't even have to be even development or technology, coolest thing
2: that i've done i won a battle of the bands in houston does that count oh yeah <laughs> so this was during my midlife crisis i spun up a band again and yeah we actually went in winning a battle of the bands in houston and i thought that was kind of cool oh, That is cool that so is you're awesome. one of those yeah you're one of those musical devs yes yes that would definitely describe me i never thought i was going to get into computer science my I, I thought with 100% conviction that i was going to be a rock star that did not work out. You know, I am <laughs> not a rock star, except in my own mind. Uh, but I, I am in the computer science world.
1: I don't know, Abel. You might be a rock star in the DevOps community. So, see, you <laughs> made
2: it exactly. It's not not quite the path that I envisioned. I'm not on MTV or any of that. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I'm on this show. That's what counts. I'm on radio.
0: <laughs> yes,
1: yes. So <laughs> let's talk about ALM for a second here. Um, how long? Uh, how long have you been working in ALM, and how? Tell me more about like and tell the audience more about how, how you got started with it and, and, and what parts of it do you enjoy the most, working in the most? Because there's a lot of different pieces of ALM and TFS.
2: Oh, yes. TFS is massive. So so, how long have I been in this space? I'm going to guess around, around 10 years now. Um, I was going to say seven, but I think it's longer than that. I think it's 10. Uh, so I, I come from a pure dev background. I write code. I still write code every single day of my life. Um, about 10 years ago, I actually sold – I started up a software company and I sold it. And in my mind, I would sell the software company, make enough money, and never have to work again. Uh, that part did not happen. I still needed to work. Um, but it did give me some leeway to, to really kind of figure out what I needed to do or what I wanted to do. So I didn't have to just jump in and grab any type of job. And I remember I was talking to Donovan Brown, actually. He's a good friend of mine. And we both live in Houston. And, and, and I was like, you know, at some point I need to pick up a job. I can't just not work forever. And he was said, why don't you check out Notion Solutions? That's what he was working at. He's like, this company is filled with the sharpest, the smartest people I've ever worked with. Check it out. You, you, you'll love it. So I actually had lunch with Chris Magge, who is the owner of Notion. And at the end of the conversation, at the end of lunch, he was like, how much do you want to make? I was, how much do I want? To, what are you talking about? And he was just like, how much do you want to make? So I, I, I just listed some preposterous number. And he was like, okay, sure. Offer will be in the mail. Um, here are some links. Start spinning up on, on subject matters like TFS, ALM, and all that stuff. Because I think in about a week's time, we're going to send you to Walmart. Uh, you would be a great fit there. And I was like, what are you? I don't even know anything about <laughs> so that, that's that's it." So That's Chris. Exactly. You know, Chris, so you know what I'm talking about. Oh, so yeah, I know. But I fell into ALM in, in that fashion, in terms of work. But it's always fascinated me, right? I mean, it's why do most software projects fail? And being a dev... I hated it when people were like, oh, devs just weren't good enough. And I'm like, well, that's, that's the easy way out, right? Because I've been on so many projects where the core group of devs, they've been about the same. So why do some succeed and one, some fail? And, and what I really realized was it's process, process, how you build software, right? That determines why a software project succeeds or fail far more than, you know, are your devs great or not? And so, so that kind of introspection, that kind of really brought me down to this whole ALM world.
1: That's awesome. That's great. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that's how a lot of people get started in ALM, um, and that's that's a great story. I, right? you know, I kind of started this some something similar to that, and I and I do know Chris Menegay very well, so uh, I'm not surprised you got thrown into Walmart. I'm surprised it took you a week to get there, though. Um,
2: <laughs> <laughs> and how did that first gig go? It was nerve wracking. Uh, it, it went just fine. But I've never been so stressed in my life because I had to go in there and speak process like I was an expert. Um, and really, I just read a whole bunch of blog posts right before I landed. But it turned out well. It turned out good. Awesome. Good. good. <laughs>
0: so let's talk about DevOps. And this is for actually both of you guys. Um, it's I, I love that. And I'm going to use that in, in, I think, the title, People,
2: Process, and Products. <sighs> so look, there's a million different definitions of DevOps out there. Yeah. Right? And none of them are necessarily wrong, but I want to state Microsoft's version of DevOps, right? So, I mean, if we can just, at least for this show right now, I'm not saying this is the only definition, but if we can frame our conversation of DevOps around a definition, it kind of makes everything easier. So at Microsoft, DevOps is something very, very specific to us. DevOps is the union of people, process, and products to enable continuous delivery of value to our end users, right? So that right there defines DevOps for Microsoft.
1: Yeah, I love that definition. That, that, I even have that sticker for my laptop. Uh, if you want it, you can go get it from like Sticker Mule or somewhere like that. It's, it's cool.
2: So that definition of DevOps was coined by uh, RPM for DevOps, Donovan Brown, and it, it really encapsulates everything that DevOps touches, right? It's people, it's process and its products. And why is DevOps even a thing right now, right? Why do we even talk about it? Why do do we even care? And it's because we need to continually deliver value to our end users. Now, back in the day, Microsoft, we used to deliver software in a three-year cycle, right? Every three years, we'd put out a new version of Windows or Office or whatever. And that was great for back then. But what we quickly realized, or maybe not quickly enough, but what we (laughs) started to realize was that the speed of industry was moving at a much faster rate. The speed of industry and the rate of innovation of our competitors were were so fast that if we didn't change right if we didn't change and, and adopt this new devops mindset we would quickly become obsolete and that's kind of the way it is for all the other companies out there when you ask why do we care about devops what's you know what's the business value the business value is your competitors are moving at this speed and if you don't you're going to be obsolete so it was a a very painful process to go from a 3 year release cycle all the way down to well 3 weeks 2 weeks at Visual Studio Team Services the group that I'm most closely aligned with we are releasing software every Three weeks, right? Like clockwork. Every three weeks we're putting out new features, individual studio team services. And it was a a pretty tough transition. And what we realized is that the we had to address all three of these pillars, right? People, process, and the products that we use to manage all this. But otherwise, it was not going to be successful.
0: And managing the VSTS, I mean there is there are support engineers, you know. So you broke down the silos? Or are there still people playing specific roles in supporting that? You know, I I just can't imagine what it must be like to to roll that product out, not only develop it,
2: but deploy it and get it supported and and out in the pipeline. So we definitely broke down a lot of walls. And of course, people still have specialties in in, in what they do. Uh, That that doesn't change, especially with something as massive as VSTS. (laughs) But the walls definitely have been torn down. So instead of having like devs and a wall and the QA team and a wall, automated testers and a wall, right? We kind of tore all that down. And now we have one team that is hyper focused on continually delivering value to our end users. So whatever that means, whatever we need to do on the, on, from the dev side, that's what we end up doing. Um, there's been some real world consequences, right? So as a dev, my role has changed rather dramatically uh, from now as opposed to like like 10 years ago, right, or even maybe even five years ago, where back in the day, I'd get a user story assigned to me, I would just implement it, and hooray for that. I'm done. I throw it over the wall. QA can find all of my bugs, right? And I just grab another user story and keep on working. With the advent of, of this new DevOps world where we are continually delivering value to our end users, we no longer have the luxury where the, our QA teams can find our bugs for us by doing manual regression testing. That just that that cycle takes way too long to do. So, you know, if we're releasing new features every 3 weeks, we need to have some type of automated way of finding these these regression types bugs, right? We don't we just don't have the time for people to click on buttons and, and to find the majority of these regression bugs. So, what it means for me as a developer now, I need to implement the user story. I need to implement full unit test. That gives me full coverage. On top of that, I now even write my own automated UI test against my user story so that it can be hooked into the CI/CD pipeline so that, you know what, as we're releasing from one environment to the next, pick up the build, drop it into dev, we immediately will just run all of our automated UI tests, all of our load tests. So we start shaking these problems out super, super early in the dev cycle.
0: That's awesome. Who was the who had the hardest change, not, not who was harder to change, but conceptually from a people point of view, who, yeah, who had the biggest challenge in accepting this?
2: Uh, that's a tough one because pretty much everybody, right? Because none of us really likes change. Change is scary. Change is hard. So, uh, you know, as a, as a, de- and, and I can speak to it from a dev the easiest because that's just who I am and what I do um, as a dev. My first initial reaction, I hated that. I was like, "What do you mean? I have to write unit tests? That means I have to like what double the amount of code that I have to write just for a user story or maybe even more right that 's ridiculous. Why do I need that um, and, and then now I have to write automation i 'm not an automation engineer that's ridiculous right so that was unbelievably difficult for me in terms of you know that was a huge hurdle for me to to get over um, but once I did, once I saw the value of of unit tests. Well, the, the, the first time that it just found all of my regression bugs for me just at build time, as opposed to actually needing people to actually go through it, I was just like, okay, I'm sold. Uh, and, and same with automation. Um, well, the it, automation was actually a little bit easier for me to buy just because that conceptually made sense, right? If we actually hook it into the CICB platform, we can find our regression bugs so much earlier. Of course, I need to start writing it. So, so that was a little bit easier. But that, that first Step into this direction, right, where I have to write unit tests. I remember that was I thought it was the most ridiculous thing in the world that I heard back way back in the day, like, I don't know, five years ago, 10 years ago when I first heard of unit testing. But now I, I live by it. I, there's, there's no way I would have any code that doesn't have unit tests. Um, I need that protection. I, 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 need that, I, I need the coverage. So let me ask you a
1: question then. When you're putting all this, the devs are putting all this testing into their solution. Let's say we're using a Visual Studio solution. They're putting all this testing into the solution. For your CI then, do you run the majority of these tests during a CI? Because I've always looked at a CI as being a lightweight, really quick build where you don't run a lot of tests. And so I'd be curious what, what, what you guys
2: do? So, CI should be quick, right? It's a quick and dirty build just to make sure everything works when you check your code in, right? Yep. Um, so, I, I agree with that statement. Uh, it depends on how many unit tests you have and how long it actually takes to run. If you have like 50,000 unit tests, which is actually very conceivable depending on the size of your project, that potentially could take way too long for a CI build to run uh but but luckily in v s t s it's super easy to set it up to say, You know what let me just run all of my priority one unit tests, so you run a subset the the things that are important um just for your c i uh I agree with that your statement one hundred percent um however, with your other builds right with your builds that that you potentially will start deploying and deploying potentially all the way out even into production, yeah that's when you start running everything
1: right that's that's what i that's what I do okay mm-hmm great great so um what do you think when we're talking about like devops vs let's say vsts and tfs and in visual studio what do you think in the vsts world is the um the 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 po- the piece of the product uh that is most underestimated or underutilized in your eyes so what 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 is people just don't give it its fair shake for
2: what i see the most right now today it would be the new build system inside of VSTS, especially for cross-platform teams, right? Uh, Of course, in the .NET world, in the Windows world, people know about the new build system. And they're like, okay, cool. And they play around with the new build system. They're like, wow, this is so much better, so much nicer than the old XAML-based build system. This is great. They start using it. They love it. But what a lot of enterprises don't realize is that this new build system has been designed from the ground up to be a true cross-platform build system. So if you are a Java team, Right. Traditionally, they're like, oh, we want to use Maven and we want to use blah 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 and VSTS or TFS or Microsoft. There's no way they can handle it. I want them to realize that, yeah, you want to build Java code on a Linux box, couple of clicks with VSTS and you're done. Physically, that's it. You're done. You want to build iOS code on an OSX box, couple of clicks and you're done. Um, .Net on Windows, of course, you can do that. Right. So, so I think that is the most underestimated piece in VSTS today.
1: That's interesting. I not would have not thought of that. I know that build is very the cross plat piece is not understood as well as it should be. Uh, but because uh, I I do talks on build and I and I hear that. But I'm, that's that's interesting. That that's your 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 look at it. I would have thought something else. That's great.
2: What do you What do you think is the most underestimated I, piece?
1: I think the most underestimated piece is most likely comes from the visual studio side of the house. And, and that's the, uh, I don't know if it's most underestimated, but the most underutilized is the architecture pieces.
0: <laughs> so anything uh, to do
1: with doing architecture diagrams and things like that.
0: Oh, that brings
2: back memories.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm not saying it's good or bad. It's just, I don't think it's used.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. That is very, very underused.
1: So so I guess my question is, where does Microsoft go with that in the future then? Do they keep on using building it and spending time on it? Or do they realize that... Developers just aren't, or uh, not even developers, but the technical folks aren't even going to use the tooling that much. Do they need to really, you know, move forward with it or replace it with something else? I mean, like the build engine, they realized the build engine was kind of, well, kind of crappy with the XAML. Let's put it straight. <laughs> and,
2: uh, it was, and It was uh, painful. You can say it, it was painful. It was so painful to customize. I made, and I'm sure you did too, because we were both consultants for Notion, we made piles of money, piles and piles of money customizing those, those TFS yeah. builds because they were difficult to customize, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Get oh people. yeah, yeah. No, for a consultant, it was a it was a cash cow. But uh, mm-hmm. for for the user end user, it was horrible. You know, unless you had a consultant, you weren't really modifying your bills too much. So it discouraged Correct. users. Yeah.
0: So Abel, I like Alim Rangers are some of my favorite people. Uh, you were a ranger. I am currently a ranger. Oh, that's right, because you can be a you can be a uh, an FTE and be a ranger. That's
2: right. That's right. What kind of ranger stuff do you do? So the things that I have done. Really have centered around building extensions for VSTS, and I'm not as active as I am now. Uh, there was a, a time frame when I was extremely active with the Rangers, like when when I first uh, became a TSP. So that would be about a year ago. I was super active. I, I dived in, dove into a whole bunch of projects and created a bunch of extensions. And and now, of course, I'm like really busy. So so I'm not doing as much as I want to. What kind of advice
0: would you give to somebody who wanted to be a ranger?
2: Oh. Ah, advice. Um, My first advice is it's awesome to be an ALM Ranger. You get huge exposure to the product group uh, that you wouldn't get in any other way, right? So when I'm building stuff for the Rangers, I'm literally sitting side by side with people on the engineering team right uh and and that's that's exposure that you just can't get anywhere else um i, I have a lot of exposure uh to the product group and, and i don't think i would have gotten that they wouldn't know who i am if it wasn't for the rangers so definitely if you have an opportunity to work with the rangers or join the rangers it's a fantastic organization
1: yeah i'll vouch uh, the, for that And one of the nice the things other, about
2: the oh go ahead oh i was just going to say the other thing that i would say is if you become a ranger. Uh, it's tough to manage your time because there are so many cool things going on. Uh, I want to be involved with everything, but there's only – X amount of hours per day, right? So, so you, you do need to learn how to pick and choose uh, which projects you're going to do.
1: No, that's true, uh, definitely. Because I know that if you are involved in the Ranger program, and, and one of the steps I think is you have to be, you have to get some references, I think. I think there's three references, if I'm correct now. The, you have to submit three references of people that'll vouch for you as, as a developer and the person you are. Uh, but the other nice thing is once you become a Ranger and you're really passionate about the technologies, you know, that's a that's a step towards becoming a Microsoft MVP if you want to, if you're non FTE Microsoft, and uh, and so that's that's another bonus of be working side by side with the product team like that so much and the engineering teams is that uh, they see who you are, they know you they're familiar with your name and who you are, so when your nomination comes across. You know, at least they know who you are and your quality of your, your work you can do and things like that, what you're capable of. So that's really a, a great benefit there, too, for anybody out there that wants to become an ALM MVP or what they call now the Visual Studio Technologies MVP. Um, that's a great way to do it, too.
0: Well, gentlemen, we're coming towards the end of the
2: show. Abel, where's a good place for uh, people to find you? easiest place is just Twitter, at Abel Squidhead. You can reach me. I'm, I'm on Twitter way too much, and that's the easiest and fastest way to find me. Uh, otherwise, you can hit my blog at AbelSquidHead.com uh, or just – well, I was going to say Facebook, but that's private. So, so yeah, Twitter, Twitter. <laughs> awesome.
0: Great. And we'll have those links in the show notes too. We have a couple other things. Uh, Channel 9, a Channel 9 video um, when you were with Stephen St. John. Stephen, mm-hmm. Stephen St. Jean. Stephen Yeah,
2: Another Notion guy. I mean, us Notion people, we're everywhere now. But yeah, Steve and I, we did a Channel 9 interview with Donovan Brown. Um, I have, uh, I think, three MBAs as well that just got recorded, and those should be coming live in September. Uh, So I'll I'll tweet out links as soon as those come out. Awesome. How hard was
0: it to do the MBAs? I know we're kind of running over, but...
2: Oh, um, they weren't difficult at all. Uh, probably because I speak for a living, right? All I do is I get in front of people and I talk a lot. And I've been doing it since my notion days. So, so talking in front of people or in front of the camera, it, it's very second nature to me. Uh, if, if you've never done that before, then it, it could be pretty nerve wracking. Great. All right. Well, we got, we've got a voicemail. And like we always say, like I
0: always say, we're going to play it on the air. Let's make sure that this works here. I have to get it set up because it got unset up, which is funny how that happens. Okay, let's go ahead and play it.
2: Hi, Greg. From one Greg to another, just congrats you on your last show
0: on your own. thought you did a very good job. Enjoy listening to the uh, podcast. Uh, Keep going. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thanks, Greg. I appreciate that. And yeah, that was that was weird doing that show. Um, Rod, we got an email from you. Thank you again. Uh, um, I'm glad you, you love the show. Got a couple tweets. Michael Seidel, um, he also gave me that support. I'm glad you all listened to me and didn't give me the negative feedback. (laughs) Um, And Robert Bernstein, again, uh, said congrats on the solo effort. So uh, even though I don't want to do solos and we're already lining up, uh, Josh Garverick may be back and we're trying to bring Angela and Gordon back on. And we have to get Donovan on. Yes. He's been on our list of you know, want to guess for forever. So we definitely have to get him on this year.
1: And Steve St. Jean too, would be a great addition. Steve's a great, I mean, if people know Steve, I I like Steve a lot. He's a great guy. He'd be great to have on.
0: All right. Well, I think we're coming to the end of the show. Abel, is there anything you want to close out with anything we missed? I don't know. I
2: think we talked a lot and I think I talked a lot. I think your listeners are probably (laughs) sick of listening to me just go on and on and on. So I'll stop. No, that's why we bring guests on the show, so we don't have to talk.
0: So, <laughs> mission accomplished. Yes,
2: this was beautiful.
0: <laughs> right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to send us an email, uh, RadioTFS at Outlook.com, uh, via Twitter, at RadioTFS, Facebook slash RadioTFS, on that voicemail. And um, Greg, when you called, he called from the UK. So you don't have to just be in the United States. So, I, Greg, I appreciate you uh uh, spending those long-distance dollars there. The number—leave us a voicemail—is one four two five two three three eight three seven nine.